When it comes to building project cars, there's something incredibly satisfying about a sleeper. Something that from the outside doesn't really make people look twice, but when that car can run an 8.7 at 156 mile an hour on the quarter, blowing away every production supercar ever made, then there's something incredibly special about that sort of a car. And we're here with Christian to talk about his KE36 Toyota Corolla, a car that can run those exact numbers. Welcome to High Performance Academy's Tuned In Field Report podcast series. In these special midweek episodes, we look back through our archives to find the best conversations we've had through years worth of attending the best automotive events across the globe. We've pulled the audio from these tech-filled interviews with some of the industry's most well-known figures for you to enjoy as a quick hit of insider knowledge. Now, for a start, Christian, clearly the original 3K that came out in this car, probably not going to get you anywhere near the eight-second range. So can you tell us what you've got powering this wagon? So this time around, we've got a 1JZ VVTi. We had a non-VVTi in it originally, um, but no one over here was really pushing the VVTi. So we decided to see what we could make out of it. Okay, so the VVTi, the variable valve timing, so that allows the intake cam timing to be moved while the engine's running. I want to come back and focus on that, but first of all, just getting down to the elephant in the room, 1JZ versus the 2JZ, most people are going to go straight for the top shelf, 2JZ, more capacity. What drove you to go with the 2.5 litre 1J? We've had 1Js for probably nearly 20 years now that we've been playing with, so... Originally we bought them because they were cheaper, more available, um, they'll make the power we need so there's no point in us going to the bigger engine and legally for Australia we can only put the 2.5 litre in this car not the 3 litre so. So that's peculiar to, to Australia's uh, rules for certification or modification for cars, you've got a, I believe it's a capacity to, to car weight? Yep, yeah, that's correct, so this one makes it by about 8 kilos to have the 2.5 litre, so... Now before we get people up in arms out there on the internet, clearly if you're building a drag car with a Jay-Z powered engine and you're aiming for fives, then yes, the extra capacity of the two Jay-Z and then probably a stroker kit on top of that is going to be pretty essential. But when you're talking about a predominantly a street-driven car that's drag raced as well, the one Jay-Z, you're still making plenty of power. How much power is it making? So this one makes just over 800 to the wheels through a Toyota A340 gearbox still. So it's limited only by injector size, really. So, all right. So it's a bit, bit to unpack there. First of all, getting down to that power level. What have you needed to do in order to support 800 wheel horsepower? We're going to assume, based on your dyno dr drivetrain losses, that's going to be north of 900 flywheel. So, what do you need to do to a one JZ to support that power and be reliable? So this has got one of our 900 horsepower engine packages. Um, it's just basically spill rods, CP pistons. We've got a set of Brian Crower cams and springs. Um, still factory main caps, that's about where we limit the engines to reliably with the factory caps. You so both the 1J and the 2JZ with the cast caps, the factory caps that hold the crankshaft into the block, that's a known failure point. So you, that, that's sort of above that area, you really need to go to billet caps? Yeah, correct. So 1J you may be able to get away with a bit more power beforehand with a smaller capacity, I don't know, less rotating weight maybe, but... Around the 900 horsepower is a good safe spot to, to put them in. 
So essentially in that bottom end, there's not a lot of particularly special componentry in there. You're not talking about aftermarket billet crankshafts and the head again, nothing particularly special there. Do you have any problems or anything special you need to do with uh, sealing the cylinder head onto the block at that sort of power level? Uh, cylinder head to block is fine. Um, factory head gasket, this has just got ARP in your 8740 material. We've run up to... 56 pounds of boost in a 1J with factory head gaskets, so if you keep the cylinder pressures down, the head will stay on. And what sort of boost pressure are you running for that 800 wheel horsepower? Uh, this one made 810 on 35, 36 pound. So really, realistically not pushing it particularly hard? Yeah, we wanted it to be reliable, so so far we've done probably 10,000 Ks in it, so we'll do just over 2,000 this weekend in it, so... I wanted to focus on that because it isn't just a show car and it's not just a drag car. This is genuinely a daily driven street car. Yeah, correct. This is We use it most days for work. I've got another van as well that we use, but it's probably 50% of my daily driving time is done in this car. So, Do you want to take your car knowledge game to the next level? Join us in the next free lesson at hpacademy.com slash free and start developing your own skills today. Now, just coming back, I said I wanted to focus on that VVTi cylinder head. So you originally ran this with the non-VVTi head, so fixed cam timing, and then you've gone to the VVTi cylinder head, which allows that intake cam to be controlled and moved while the engine's running to optimise the cam timing uh, versus throttle position, manifold pressure, and engine RPM. So what sort of differences do you realistically see? How much of an advantage is that variable valve timing? Because we know a lot of people, when they build a race motor making high horsepower, they'll go to an aggressive cam which requires the uh, VVT system to be locked out anyway. You've kept it, so yeah, give us the advantages there. So mainly streetcar to start with, nice low down power, it actually makes it better on fuel obviously, and we went to a slightly bigger turbo, we used to have a 6870 with the non-VVTi, we went to a 7275, so we wanted a bit more response and it worked out about the same response having the VVTi with the bigger turbo. So it allows you to go to a bigger turbo without losing that bottom end and that spool? Correct, so it's still streetable, it's to the point where you don't want much more, it's going to be a lag monster, so... Now, that brings me to the turbo, uh, nice segue in there because I was just going to ask you what the turbo was, you've covered that off, so with that turbo, the VVTi and also the fact you've got a two and a half litre engine there, what sort of RPM are you seeing full boost achieved? Uh, I think full boost would be about five and a half, uh, it starts making 10, 15 pound by probably four and a half to five, so. And you rev it through to what RPM? Um, makes power to about... 8788. I think we rev it to just over 9 just for mile an hour at the track. We can only get a 3.5 diff ratio in a Hilux diff, so. Alright, so before we get on to the rest of the drivetrain, because that's also quite unique what you've done with this car, uh, can you just give us a rundown on the electronics package you've got controlling the engine? Yep, so it's got a Haltech Elite 2500T in it. Uh, it's got the wideband, it's got the new EGT box in it. Um, apart from that, it's got Bosch injectors, 1650cc and two 044 pumps. Alright, so let's just go back to that. You've got the 2500T Haltech ECU, so that's in control of everything in there. You mentioned you've got the, the wideband, so can I assume there you're running the CAM-based Haltech wideband? Yes, correct. The new, the newer version, yep. 
All right, so that transfers all of the wideband airfield ratio data into the Haltech ECU via CAN, uh, one of my personal favourites because it retains the integrity of that data, unlike what we can see problems with an analog voltage CAN based, uh, sorry, analog voltage based wideband controller where we can see ground offsets affecting the accuracy of that data. Now, once you've got that information in there, there's a variety of ways you can use that information in the Haltech. Are you using any closed loop airfield ratio control strategies or are you just using it for tuning purposes? No, no, it's closed loop all the time, so it's road and track, so it's always trimming, so we've done a lot of Ks in it now, so the map in the in the car is pretty good. It's one of the things I, I really like with the CAN-based controller as well because uh, in the past with the older style controllers there's no diagnostic information going through to the ECU so if the sensor fails the ECU doesn't necessarily know can be problematic if you are running wideband control so that CAN-based controller lets the ECU know exactly what's going on. Uh, so on top of that you're also running those 1650cc Bosch injectors and uh, is it safe to assume there given the power and the size of the injectors you're running on E85 fuel? Yep, E85 fuel and 810 horsepower is about 98% duty cycle so so there's really nothing left in there would you go to a bigger set of injectors or you're just happy where that power is we basically put them in to limit the power and stop us getting out of control so it's too easy to turn the up button yeah at 40 pounds of boost I think injectors are 110% so fuel just keeps up but obviously it's well past what it's capable of and you're running flex fuel here is this just dedicated E85 it's dedicated E85, we've got a flex sensor in the car but we've never had the need to set it up. Now in terms of the boost control on this, uh, I'm going to guess that getting all of that power, 800 horsepower to the ground off the start line is probably going to be uh, pretty tricky, so are you using any boost control strategies versus either road speed or, or gear? Yep, for like our roll racing events or the Flying 500 here we have road speed, whereas at the drag strip we can pretty much put it in as fast as it'll make it. Alright, so let's get on to the drivetrain because again this is uh, some, somewhat unique, I haven't seen this before, most people go to something like a, a power glide if they're going auto, you're stuck with the auto but you wanted to keep everything Toyota, so tell us what you've got in there. So we retain the Toyota A340 4 speed auto, it's built by one of our friends in town, Gilroy's Race Transmissions, so we've played with them a lot over the years, this is the fastest we've gone so far but we're building another one, we want to go closer to 8.0 with a Toyota box, so... So is there some big limitations within that, that gearbox that need upgrading to support that sort of power level? Yeah, we've got some bits coming from the US. One of the places over there makes a bit of stuff. But this is essentially still a fairly basic box. I think they retail them for around $4,000 for the gearbox. So something that can run eight seconds, it's a cheap gearbox. Yeah, that's definitely pretty cost effective. So moving back, can you tell us about the rear end in the car? What are you running there? So rear end's just a factory RN20 Hilux stiff. It's got a set of traction arms and an aftermarket sway bar. Other than that, it's all factory Corolla. So you're talking about LSD in that or is it a full spool? It's got an LSD in it, yeah. So again, keeping it somewhat streetable? Yeah, street car. Now with that transmission, again, getting an automatic transmission equipped car with a large turbo off the line can be a bit tricky and the, the go-to we usually see is people using a trans brake where essentially first gear and reverse gear are locked in. You can floor the throttle and allow the car to, the engine to produce boost and then release reverse when the, the tree comes down. Uh, you're not doing that. Tell us about your launch strategy. Yeah, well, launch strategy, our PB was actually done without nitrous. We've run a 134 to the 60. The bigger turbo probably put us about 100 RPM off optimum launch, so we've got around a 35 horsepower shot on the car to get it out of the hole. So you're only using that just, just off the line? 
just off the line as we got no more injector left to spray at the whole track. So, But uh, you're also just launching solely off the foot brake? Uh, foot brake and handbrake, yeah. yeah. We leave around 4,500 RPM. So. so it's sort of able to make a reasonable amount of boost there, just that, uh, that's, that shot of nitrous. Are you, are you using as you leave the line, or is that just to bring it up on boost while you're on the foot brake and the handbrake? We use it just before the two-step and then just after. So it sprays about half a second after the brakes let go as well. So on that basis, would you see actually any advantage if you were to go to a trans brake on this, or you think it's pretty optimal just with the, the technique you're using? Uh, you can't trans brake the A340, but a power glide gearbox with a trans brake, the car would go slightly faster, but wouldn't keep it all Toyota. Fair enough, I understand. Uh, the car's also well known for bringing the front wheels uh, well off the ground, so can you just tell us about controlling that? I mean, I see you've got no wheelie bars on the back of the car. Uh, is this just a, a dedicated decision? You want to you wanna keep, keep it without wheelie bars and control that all manually? You like getting those front wheels as high as you can? Because obviously there's a danger of damaging components when it does come back down. Give us some insight into that. Uh, Jamboree we just did, we kind of just kept putting nitrous in to have some fun uh, the 35 horsepower shot still picks the wheels up probably a foot so then we put a 50 shot in it and picked them up probably three foot and then we put a 75 in it and it put it on the bumper so we did do that on purpose and we've done it now so we'll stick to around the 35 shot and that should get us hopefully eventually into maybe one one two nine sixty or something like that all right look christian it's been great to get some insight into the car and it's certainly a car that uh is uh, going to appeal to a lot of our viewers there with the fact it is something that they can aspire to. It's a sleeper, but it still runs eight sevens, so uh, certainly no slouch. And uh, we wish you all the best for the rest of the weekend here at World Time Attack. Thanks. No worries. Thank you very much. If you enjoy this podcast, please feel free to leave us a review on whatever platform you've chosen to listen to it on. It goes a long way to helping us get the word out there. All these conversations and much more are also available in full on our High Performance Academy YouTube channel, so make sure you subscribe.